shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. Shit show. All right, guys, welcome back to Shit Show Saturday. And I feel like a shithead that this woman has not already been on. Kathy, you should have been on a very long time ago. You know that? I thought you were our longest standing, but I think Adela has you beat by like a day. But I've been participating longer, I would say. Yeah, in yes. the group. So yeah, I'll give it to you. <laughs> I'll give it's it not to a you. competition yeah sure as hell is okay yeah. song I think it's called what a wonderful world and I but not that version there's a Kermit a frog version do you want that one no 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 <laughs> I see trees of green red roses too I see them bloom for me and you carbohydrate Oh, wow. There's so many choices, right? Pizza is always a solid choice, but I like a good grilled cheese sandwich too, mm. but not with American cheese. Let's go what with, kind of cheese? with a nice melt, like a Havarte, uh, maybe with some cream cheese in there and mm. a white cheddar. Have you ever tried the Trader Joe's unexpected cheddar? That's just legit. What is it? It's a cheddar cheese and it's got a really good taste to it. The only bad side is it doesn't shred really well but it's really good. And they actually have a spread now. Okay. I see it right here. That's it's a, really a cheese good spread. Okay. Mm -hmm. Huh. Is it unexpectedly good? Okay. I'll have to give it a go. Is that going to be your cheese? Okay. What is different about it than regular cheddar? Well, first of all, it doesn't have the orange coloring, which I detest. Oh, I, I think that it doesn't shred. The texture is definitely different, but the flavor is nothing artificial taste to it. Have you had the caramelized onion cheddar? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a good one. And there's a new one that's actually, I think it's Gruyere and cheddar together that's mixed. Oh, mm. that one's good too. That's good for a sandwich. Okay. I'll give it a go. Condiment. Are jalapenos a condiment? Not really. I, oh, because I use them instead of salad dressing and I stick them in. What? Yeah. Huh. Instead of salad dressing. Okay. Give me something that's not a vegetable. Probably salsa. Like uh -huh. any kind of salsa. That's a fresh... Like either homemade or... So how did you find out that you were an adult child? It was actually years and years ago. I was going to Overeaters Anonymous. I got to the point where I found all the talk about food and eating very triggering. And a girlfriend of mine and I had sent our mothers to Al-Anon meetings. And so it was just part <laughs> of the whole... Well, no, they kept going. It was good. My mother did anyway. But I found out about adult children of alcoholics and started going to a meeting for a while then. So I was in my early 20s. At the oh, time. wow. Yeah. Because my girlfriend and I that were in Overeaters Anonymous realized that our fathers were alcoholics. And that was news to me. And then I found out about that time too, that was very common with anorexic girls mm. to have an alcoholic parent. So how old were you when you first started going to OA? Probably about 19 or 20. I was in college at the time. When did you start struggling with the eating stuff? In high school. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was senior year of high school. I graduated 110 pounds. Wow. Which is a stick. Yeah. And were your parents aware that you had an issue or it was like super obvious? Oh, yeah. It was very obvious. W what was it that prompted you to start going to meetings? Well, it was fine as long as I was thin. 110 was great. You know, I had control over everything. It's when I started gaining the weight and couldn't stop. Mm. That's when it became a problem. So my mother sent me to a therapist who I was talking to. And I remember telling her that my issue was I'd get up in the middle of the night and I'd eat. And she said, I've never heard of that. 
And she had a group that she recommended I go to. And I, I just didn't think I'd fit in because I thought it was that, but I knew within the spectrum, people wouldn't look at me and think of me as overweight. But at some point I ended up calling the OA hotline and the very first person I talked to said, oh yeah, I do that as well. And that's why I started going because she could absolutely relate to something I was completely ashamed of and thought nobody else did. Were you able to find out any nuggets from that? Because I was actually talking to a girlfriend a couple months ago and that's something that she does, but she's not conscious of when she's doing it. It's like a very dissociative thing of waking up in the middle of the night and eating and then waking up in the morning with like an empty peanut butter thing. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely something I could not stop. Mm -hmm. And I tried all sorts of crazy things, just like you do with drinking any mm -hmm. other. Yeah. What ended up happening is, well, okay, you'll hear the story now. So what happened was my mother was going to Al-Anon meetings and I was not aware enough to notice that my father was picking fights with her every night she had a meeting to try and get her not to go. Mm. And she had gone and he came into my room and started an argument with me when she was gone. And it was over something stupid, like the time of day and loaded the dishwasher and I argued with him and he came back with a gun and put a gun in my face. And so the next day, I remember talking to my mom and I remember only bits and pieces of it really, but it was like, okay, well, I need to move out. And so what happened was I just happened to be at the university and I was getting coffee in the morning and I was standing next to a girl online that said she needed a roommate. And I overheard the conversation. I said something to her and um, I went and looked at the place and I moved in within a couple of days. And that helped because I was out of that environment that was so stressful. That was really, that was part of the problem. The other part of the problem obviously would be, you know, growing up in an alcoholic household, but just removing myself from the situation helped with that. And then I you know, I continued to go to meetings and that sort of thing too, but there's no easy answer. It just takes like everything else, right? You do all this stuff and you don't see improvement right away. Like bad things happen all at once, but good things take a prolonged effort over a period of time. Do you feel like you got to a place where it didn't have the power over you that it once did the food stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So much so that I stopped going to 12-step meetings. Do you feel like you have a normal-ish relationship with food now? No. <laughs> yeah. Jalapenos is my... Yeah. No, it, you know, I just had surgery and I was nauseous for three weeks as a result of the surgery and lost weight. And I really see how disordered my eating is. Mm. And so I go back and forth like, well, I've gotten the habit of skipping eating. Let's just do that. Something will happen and it'll normalize, but no, I definitely have disordered eating. It just isn't as all consuming. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's not super obsessive. Okay. So you go to OA and then you realize that your dad's an alcoholic. What did you think was the deal beforehand? I never saw him drunk. Really? Ever. Mm. Wow. He was very high functioning at that point. He went to work every day. He was a respected member of the community. He was relatively high profile working at a university. So 
No, he hit her really well. And do you remember what was said that allowed you to have that aha? Not specifically, just talking through with someone else and realizing that all these things we had in common. And then she knew her father was an alcoholic and must have suggested it to me. You know what happened to her? No. Okay, so well, well, let's talk about what you do remember from your childhood. Like, paint the picture. What was the environment like? I, <laughs> wow. You know, it wasn't a bad childhood. Mm-hmm. Both my parents were professionals. They were definitely not like some people where they grew up in poverty. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. They were both very careful with their money, but we always were able to do vacations and have nice things. Both of them had grown up back east, so we'd travel back east every summer and visit relatives, and they were the type of people that we stopped along the way to all these different attractions, and it was very educational, interesting trip. You know, we got to see the Arch in St. Louis and the Statue of Liberty and Mount Rushmore, all that sort of thing. I had two brothers. They had a tendency to fight, but I was the only girl, and both of them I would say, took care of me a certain way. So definitely not a bad childhood. Only looking back, do I see dysfunction? And do I see, oh, like my mother told me at one point that she stopped working swing shift to be home when my dad got home because his alcoholism, she didn't say it in these way, basically because she found out I was the one cooking dinner every night. And she didn't know that was happening. And when she found out that, you know, her working in the afternoon meant I was making food for the family, she changed that. But it wasn't a conversation like, I understand that you're being parentified and I'm putting a stop to that. It was very behind the scenes. And only now will she talk about some things and how she was trying to protect us or... When did you notice that you started to have like an unhealthy relationship with food? And do you view it in just like a control mechanism? No, it was definitely control. And the fact that it was senior year year in high school, I think a lot of it was just too much. My parents ended up separating on my 21st birthday. So there was an underlying conflict in the home all the time that I wasn't, I was obviously picking up but wasn't consciously aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Consciously aware of. So I think it was a combination of all that conflict going on and, you know, the whole, you know, in high school, they, you get this whole messaging that you need to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life kind of Uh thing. And then even in high school, you know, I remember getting conflicting messages about, you know, people telling me I should go to college, but the counselor suggesting junior college. Mm. And it's like, which was stupid at the time, because when I went to college, it was like 120 something a semester. It was cheap and affordable, right? So it was just all that not knowing how to navigate any of that, and certainly not knowing how to speak up and ask questions or ask for help. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do any of that. Did you struggle in relationships and friendships? Yes. And then we ended up moving. What was I? First year of high school, we moved. So that was really hard too. When you suggested Alan on to your mom, it's interesting that she went and she stayed. She went and she stayed. And it was really funny because 
we had a mutual friend that I met at 12 step meetings that was, I was close to, and then she met her as well. And she was kind of in between our ages. So that, that was really kind of interesting too, that we had this mutual friend, Diane. Uh-huh. And have you and your mom been able to talk about the adult child stuff much? I wouldn't say calling it an adult child, but yeah, we have been able to talk a lot more now than previously. She's 90 and I've made a real effort to spend time with her and she will tell a lot more about her childhood and yeah. What do you know about her childhood? Her father was, she grew up in a farm and her father was the type that wouldn't give a direct compliment ever. Mm. And so she said things like they would go out and do something and she thought everything had gone really well. And then they'd get home and she would find out all the things she had done wrong. And it was under the guise of trying to help you improve, right? But we've, I mean, the research now shows that shaming doesn't work. And what does work is positive reinforcement, but that's relatively new. Did you maintain a relationship with your dad when they got divorced? Oh, no. That was one of the, when I started going to ACA meetings, and even that was very when I would tell people that I wasn't going to have a relationship with him, I got a lot of pushback about that. I definitely, as long I, and the way I stated it is until he was working a program, I was not going to have a relationship. And a couple of times my brother asked, you know, would pose the question, you know, dad wants to talk to you when I talk to him. And I said, no, especially when I got pregnant with my son, I'm like, absolutely not. There's no way. Your brothers maintain a relationship with him. Well, I would have sort said of. that, but when my dad passed away a couple of years ago and we were cleaning out his house together, like my older brother, I thought, you know, saw him on a fairly frequent basis. I found out that no, my father just didn't make the effort to meet up with them, even when they, he was very close physically to where they were. And I remember talking to a friend of mine about it. Like, I just don't understand you know, he was so good with children and he loved us so much when we were little. I just don't understand. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that made sense to me is that he would have had, he eventually got in a 12 step program and was, he died when he died, he had been sober over 20 years. I think it was just too much guilt for him. And I truly understand that now. It was just too hard to face all the things he had done. Mm. So what would be one of the most painful periods of your life, not including the eating stuff, but like where you really saw the ramifications of your upbringing? It's hard to pinpoint a most painful. Or um, a. Yeah. A <laughs> um, I think it all, you know, it all came to head about actually just before I found your podcast, a little before that, when I started going to Al-Anon meetings, it was one of those things where I was working and never felt like I could take time off, even when, you know, my daughter was in the hospital, when my father was in the hospital, my mother was, and I was still working full time, trying to manage all the chaos in my life. And it, it just got to the point where I'm like, I just can't do it. And where it really happened is one of my daughter's friends called me, and they wanted to do an inter intervention. And so this rehab place called me to get the information for my insurance. And that just broke me because it's like, I can't do all this anymore. I was, you know, I had just before that call, I had spent time with my daughter because she had broken her leg over a weekend 
And I was at my mother's house and she just had knee replacement surgery. And again, I was trying to work full time and it wasn't just a job. It was a plant controller for a multinational. The truth of the matter, my dear shit shows, is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from ADHD. I myself got diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done. Now let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that is get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done, turn ADHD into your strength. I mean, it was a lot of responsibility. And I was just trying to do everything for everybody. And that's when it's like, I can't do this anymore. Yet the where it's showed up for you the most has been in work. And what really comes into play? An overdeveloped sense of responsibility, people pleasing, an inability to say no, all of the above. Uh, yeah, those three right? Because now as I learned to set these boundaries, first of my first thing is, oh no, I'm going to get in trouble. They're not going to like me. And I, that thing that's so surprising as I, you know, cause it starts so small, right? These little incremental changes. What I've learned is as you set those boundaries, people treat you with more respect. And I had the opposite thing. I thought it was like a bank, right? And I had to do all these favors for you. And then eventually when I needed to withdraw, you mm. would just give it to me, right? And I find the opposite happens is as I set a boundary and say no, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as like, no. And I surprise myself because it comes out, right? Before I had a chance to pause. But I'm in a much better situation now because people see that I can't be pushed around and I'm not going to do a bunch of things outside you know, the scope of your work. work. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, before I did part of the engineer's job, part of the ops manager's job. I mean, yeah, now I just like, nope. As somebody who had no boundaries, who didn't know how to say no, what do you think that was most useful in beginning to take baby steps in that regard? I was working with an Al-Anon sponsor and I remember I'd go for a walk and I'd text her just before I was going to have a meeting. So having that kind of support going into it and having, you know, it's like, okay, take a good breath. You can handle this going in and sitting down, learning to listen, mm. the active listening that you learn when you're sitting in a meeting and you can't cross. That was really helpful. And how so? Well, it's two pieces. One, I, instead of waiting for somebody to shut up just so I can talk. Yeah. Say what you're planning on saying, regardless of what they're insane. <laughs> now I'll listen to it 
and try and understand truly where they're coming from and ask questions. And being able to ask those questions is a really good way to pivot the conversation to where you want to get it to, especially if, if we're working on like a budget together. And before I used to go in my office and I do all the work and then I come out and like, here you go. What do you think? And then I was resentful because I'm doing all the work. Right. And now it's like, okay, what do you want to do? Where should we go from that? And then I shut up and listen. And even that part of listening. And then when people ask questions or they're looking for a volunteer, I'm okay with the silence before I couldn't stand it. I'd raise my hand and volunteer just so we can move along. And now it's like, I'm fine. I can sit here all day. Well, that's what I was going to say is that's the one thing I've noticed with you is just the, how you just don't get rattled by certain things that I think you definitely would have been rattled by in the past. That's very true. Although people always said that I came across, oh, you're always so calm and you're always so nice and helpful, even when I was losing it. So I think I, I have a tendency to come across calmer than I am, but now it's more real before it was completely fake. How about with your kids? What has this process been like as, especially, you know, you're still very much in the work and reflecting on how that's shown up in the way that you've been a mother and what those like living amends have looked like. So my daughter, one of the first things I was told when the gentleman called from the the rehab place when they were trying to do the. I don't think I knew this. No. I don't think so. No. Oh, the first thing he said was cut her off. So I did. How old was she? Um, what is she? Early twenties. Okay. Did she struggle when she was a teenager? Well, no, not that I was aware of. I mean, she lived at home and then she went away to college. And I think that's when I do know that's when it started and it, it escalated. And she's always been the type of person where she said, don't ask me questions. So I cut her off immediately. Financially she, or also? Yes. Okay. So she was living on her own and supporting herself. I had given her a credit card that only had like a thousand dollar limit. And I was paying any copay she had for medical things. And I would send her Amazon stuff like every mm -hmm. month, subscribe and save stuff. And a couple of times she had run up the credit card and I told her not to do it and just paid it off, but did not cut it off. Right. Mm -hmm. And when this was all falling out, she had run up the credit card again. And so I let her know I was cutting her off and I was canceling it. And then she came back a couple of weeks later and said, well, you're going to pay for my co-pays, right? And I said, no. And then she said, well... I don't want you to contact me for a little bit. And I said, okay. And so we text from time to time, but it's very minimal. And then recently she did ask me, I write a weekly letter to my family. I've been doing this for years. And she Send asked out an me, email? I actually print it out. And mail and, it? And mail it, yeah. That's so cute. Because my mother, she wouldn't read an email. She's 90, right? But a lot of people like to get the actual physical letter. So my daughter had asked for that and I've had more contact with her recently, but still very minimal. Is that hard? Yes. And no, I think it's good for both of us because it's hard not to get up all in our business. Mm -hmm. Like I find little things out from time to time. And my first thing is, 
well, I need to tell her this, that, or the other thing. No, she's a grown ass adult. She's financially independent, living on her own. She gets to make her own decisions and face the consequences for those good and bad. And I need to let that be. And I can love her just fine from here. She's an adult and I need to respect that. And I wouldn't appreciate somebody telling me, like, I don't like that you're doing this, or maybe you should do that. So why do I think it's appropriate that I would do that for a child, my child, who's an adult? So there, there are parts of it that's hard, but I think it's more grieving for my image of what this time in her life should have been, according to me. And what about with your son? My son is very much like me and personality. Poor guy. <laughs> He's, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. He's a CPA, MBA. And so with him, as he tells me things, I try and be supportive. And again, not tell him this is what you should do. Both of my children are very bright. I would say they're much, much smarter than me. I would say at this point, they are probably making a lot stronger decisions than I could have made at that point. And so my job is to support them, right? No shame, no blame. I love you. I'm proud of you. End of story. And even the guilt I feel about how I parented them, that's not for me to put on them because that, that just becomes another thing. If, oh, I'm so sorry. I know I messed up. I make them feel good about anything. So it's better just to say, I respect you. And then, you know, if they share something with me, that's really difficult to honor that. Have you made direct ninth step amends to either one of them? No. What about with your husband? Has he dabbled in recovery stuff at all? Not this time around. When I was going to ACA meetings, he used to go with me. And I remember very vividly just before my first Al-Anon meeting, I got in the car and I was thinking I might end up divorced because of this, because you don't know, hmm. right? I've seen, I, I do have that gift. I absolutely know 12 step programs work, right? A lot of people don't go into it knowing that, but this time around I do. So I remember thinking, and it's like to save my daughter, it's worth it, right? It's before the first morning meeting it unrealistically thought I would be able to go to meeting and figure out they'd have a list for me. Like these are the 10 things you need to do. Yeah. And, and you'd that'll... be good to go. Yeah. yeah. But I remember thinking I, I'm willing to take that risk. I know my life is not working for me and I got to find a better way. And I had been going a couple months and I asked him, so what do you think? And he goes, well, you're a lot nicer. Oh, but I do notice it's really changed our relationship. Because I'm not trying to manipulate, manage, and control him all the time. I ask for things. When I see he's struggling, I'm more likely to address it head on. It's just a better relationship all the way around. Yeah. I would just think from a standpoint of, you guys have been together for so long, but it's the whole um, growing together or growing apart. Or what about like, can he speak the language of recovery? Like, does he get it to an extent? Yes. He does. And he's, he was around it. At one point he worked for a rehab center years and years ago. Oh, really? So doing what? Yeah, I don't know exactly. He had a business degree. So it was someplace in LA that he was working at was before I knew him. So he definitely understands the language and he's always trying to learn things too. He's a reader as well. And he, he's been trying to heal a lot of his childhood trauma in different ways. Yeah. I was going to ask you what his upbringing was like. Yeah. So his 
grandfather was the falling down drunk alcoholic and his father was the one that was going to bars and getting the dad out and then growing up in his family his father was the rager he wasn't drinking but he had out of control temper yeah and there's stories that the family laughs about now but like dad threw a fit at the dinner table and threw a fork that ended up getting stuck in Judy's thigh kind of thing. So that's what he stuck grew up in the with. thigh. <laughs> no, she's like sticking straight up. That sounds painful. <laughs> or Christmas, you know, throwing a fit and ended up, you know, strong arming a Christmas tree out the sliding glass door and breaking all the ornaments, that kind of stuff. So fun stuff like that. Fun stuff. Yeah. Delightful family. Did you ever drink much? No, it wasn't my thing. I had gotten in the habit of, I'd come home every night and have part of a beer. And that was my Part thing. of a beer. Part of a beer. <laughs> well, you know, it's got calories in it. So you got to be mm-hmm. careful about that too. Maybe if it was a really tough day, I drink the whole beer, but I kind of liked it flat too. So, you know, anyway, but I did notice that I really was looking forward to that a little too much on the weekends. And it, it was something understanding what I was trying to do is have some sort of transition to when I got home. And that's not a healthy way to do it. Why don't Mm -hmm. I go for a walk instead? You seem like the type of person who wouldn't really like to drink because you don't like feeling out of control. Oh yeah. That's me. Yeah. 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 It just makes me sleepy anyway. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Calories and out of control. What does working your program look like on a daily basis today? Well, of course, I have a routine. Let's hear it, Kathy. (laughs) I get up in the morning and I do yoga. I do my reading and some journaling. What do you journal about? What's your journal practice look like? I actually have this one gratitude journal that I really like. They ask me like all these different, like really simple questions. Today, I'm grateful for Uh how will I make today awesome? Positive affirmations little things that made my day, learnings from today, and goals or plans for tomorrow. So it's kind of like a, you know, 10 step. So So you do that. That's how you kick it off. Yeah. And then I go into work and just, if I get frustrated, try to take a minute away, go for a walk, go talk to a friend, be kind, be patient. If I get stuck, ask for help. What about book that's had the biggest impact on you? Right now, this one, Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. But I'm a reader. I've read a lot of books over a period of time. This other one, Chill, it's kind of a 12-step for work. That was really good. The Big Red Book, when I first got that, of course, I had you know had to read it cover to cover. But I went through and re- reading that a couple pages at a time. What else? I don't know. What else is around here? I like the daily readers, that the on-on daily readers. There's Courage to Change, Hope for Today. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of stuff all over, <laughs> everywhere. Do you have a tendency to overwork still? Oh, yes. And so I actually go back in the office Monday oh. and there's a part of me that, that knows that's a really good idea because when I'm in the office, I get in at a certain time, I make sure I take my lunch and I leave and I'm done. And I don't do that when I'm working from home as much as I try. I just don't. It's just like, oh, I'll just, I'm too compulsive. I'll just, <laughs> one more thing. Just let me finish this. Yeah, it's interesting how the actual like physically showing up at work creates boundaries in a certain way. Self-boundaries. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And it it was funny because when I started this job, it started at the beginning. It was an act of courage because I've always started earlier and I was starting at seven o'clock in the morning. And most of my immediate group starts at nine. Mm-hmm. And so I started at seven. So I'm leaving at three 30 and I would have to, it was like walking the gauntlet, right? Get up, grab my stuff and walk out of there and say good night to everyone. And I was embarrassed to do it, but I, I'm going to do it. Got to do it. Yeah. And then it gets normal. Yeah. Three things that you like about yourself. I like to learn. That's good. I'm very persistent and I've got a lot of grit. You sure do. Hope or dream for the future. You continue to learn and, and grow and become a better person. Yeah. That's the one thing I really admire about you is it's just very obvious that you're dedicated to the work. I really see that in you. And I think you were sharing that the other day, just about how this shit is so hard but I see you just really committed to it. Thank you. I do. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, I think of all that you've accomplished and it's like jumping off a cliff. It's like, are you really going to quit your job and try and do this full time? I mean, that's so Well, I kind of got fired. But you could have gotten another job. Yeah, this is very true. This is very true. Well, I'm so grateful for you, Kathy. Thanks for sticking with me. I care for you dearly. So don't go anywhere or I'll kill you. Well, no, I... I mean, that's one thing. I am consistent. You just show up. <laughs> you sure as hell are.